Good morning. Welcome to Riverview Church. Let's stand up and worship our Lord together. Coming on the clouds, kings and kingdoms will bow down. And every chain will break as broken hearts declare his praise. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power. And fighting our battles And every knee will bow before Him Our God is the Lamb The Lamb that was slain For the sins of the world His blood breaks the chains And every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb And every knee will bow before Him So open up the gates, make way for the King of Kings. The God who comes to save is here to set the captives free. Folk can stop the Lord. Oh, come on, sing it out, church. Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before Him. Our God is a Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains. And every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. And every knee will bow before Him. Who can stop? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? 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 Yeah, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain 
For the sins of the world His blood breaks the chains Every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb And every knee will bow before Him Amen
ground began to shake. The stone was rolled away. His perfect love could not be overcome. Now death, where is your sting? Our resurrected King has rendered you defeated. Now forever He is glorified. Forever He is lifted high. Forever He is risen. He is alive. He is alive. The ground. The ground began to shake, and that stone was rolled away. His perfect love could not be overcome. Now, death, where is your sting? Our resurrected King has rendered you defeat forever. exactly a new song, but we haven't done it here yet. So here's how the chorus goes. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. Let's sing that one more time. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. Amen.
cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my Savior on that cursed tree his body bound and drenched in tears they laid him down in Joseph's tomb the entrance sealed by heavy stone Messiah still and still alone oh praise the name Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. Then The Son of Heaven rose again. Oh, trample death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. Oh, praise! Oh, praise! Come on! in robes of white the blazing sun shall pierce the night and I will rise among the saints my gaze transfixed on Jesus Come on! 
Praising the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That was so good to hear your voices. Hey, uh, junior hires, you're staying here today as our senior hires. But we're going to dismiss our kids right now. Kids, you are dismissed. Before you uh, sit down, greet somebody, say hi to them. We're a friendly church. probably know 65 of us are down in Mexico and so we'll be praying for them in just a few minutes but uh, we're excited about what they are doing they'll be working with kids and families with three separate churches down in Ensenada they left Saturday morning and they'll be coming back uh, later this week on Friday so we want to be praying for them and uh, that'll be an exciting time if you are seated in the center aisle here and along the aisle on the other two sections, could you take out our friendship register? That's our way of hearing from you. So uh, if you're a first-time visitor here, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Thank you for being here today. Uh, if, as you leave today, pick up this free gift we want to give you, our Riverview Church coffee mug. Love for you to sign the friendship register. Let us know you're here. Love everybody to sign it, at least. And by the way, Thank you for putting your prayer requests on the bottom or any other questions you have about the ministries here at Riverview Church. John Dunkel and uh, Jeanette Kranz are on staff here at the church. And, uh, they, you know, at staff meetings, we decide who's going to do the announcements. And sometimes John and Jeanette, they're struggling to do it, but we want you to get to know them. And I didn't see actually the video until 8 o'clock at the 8 o'clock service this morning, but they came up with some creative stuff. You got to watch it. All right, here it is, the announcement video for today. Hi, I'm John. And I'm Jeanette. And uh, hey, Jeanette. Hey, John. You want to go play a uh, game of concentration? All right, let's do it. Uh, this week, I have I put in the theme of announcements for Riverview Church. All right, that'll be fun. Let's go do it, John. Let's go. This July 16th, there's going to be an alumni dinner that's going to be celebrating the conclusion of the men's uh, studies for the for the year. Uh, we're going to be having brats, and there's going to be plenty of fellowship around the table. Check the bulletin for details. Today's the last day to sign up. Hey, men. On July 23rd, we begin our Summer Bridge Bible Study. Jeanette, do you know who's uh, speaking this year? No, who's the speaker this year, John? Uh, Tony Evans. Oh, he's great. Yeah, he is. Check your bulletins for details. Wonderful. Um, 
Hey, John, did you know Wednesday the Precept Bible Study is starting out? Actually, I hear it's continuing on through the summer. Oh, that's great. That'll be a wonderful study as well. Hope lots of people can come. Yep. Hey, everyone. We have Family Element happening July 30th and the 31st. And? And the guest speaker this year is Brandon Vasquez. Be sure to sign up on the patio today. Okay, everyone, and be sure also on Parents' Night Out on August 2nd, uh, be sure to bring your kids, drop them off here, and they'll have a great time. <laughs> Can I bring a, my dog, too? Oh, no, I don't think dogs are allowed, though. Okay. <laughs> See the bulletin for more details. John, did you know that you can text a check-in your prayer requests and the time you attend your service instead of filling out a friendship register? Well, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, and it gives me more time to love all the people and give hugs. Well, let me give it a try. Awesome. Okay, so I go to the 8 o'clock service, so I'm going to text to that number that's in the bulletin, which I've already plugged into my phone, and text uh, sun 8 and then uh, I get back this link, and I uh, tap on it. There we go. And now I can put in my name and any prayer request I might have. And if I can do it, anybody can do it. And it's just that easy. Perfect. And I'll take that hug now. All right. <laughs> okay, Riverview, that's all we have for now. Be sure to check us out on social media. That's and have a great day in the Lord. Amen. All right, John and Jeanette. Woo! Right, John. Good morning, Riverview. I'm Paul Rowan. I'm told to stand back here. That way we won't get any squawks from this. Um, this morning we are highlighting Jim and Karen Fox, uh, missionaries in the Middle East. And uh, as the ushers come forward, I'd like to be able to pray over the offering as well. Before I do that, little shout out to my baby daughter over here on the keys. It's her birthday today. <laughs> Happy birthday, Sonora. <laughs> Let's bow our heads. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son to die for us. I thank you that we can celebrate that continually, Lord, and especially as a congregation today. Lord, we lift the foxes to you. We pray over their lives, Lord. We pray over their ministry. I pray, Father, that the joy of eternity would be theirs. They would be able to share it with folks, and it would be received. Lord, we thank you also for the opportunity to participate in your ministry. As we give in tithes and offerings today, I pray that we would do it joyfully. In Jesus' holy name. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Looking you as a precious jewel. 
Taking my sin, my cross, my shame Rising again, I bless your name You are my all in all And when I fall down, you pick me up When I am dry, you fill my cup You are my all in Oh! 
God, you know, the story of Jesus and the hundred sheep, he leaves the 99 to find the one. We would say, man, never do that. But that demonstrates the love of God for you and for me, that he would go after us. Really, that's the story of the entire Bible, right? God pursuing us. He's after us. He's after you because he loves you. And with that in mind, let's have a word of prayer as we talk to our God right now, who's right here with us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for uh, what you did for us on the cross. Pray for our Mexico outreach team, the 65 folks from our church that are down in Mexico. Lord, give them a great, great experience. May lives be changed. May you be glorified. And we commit this group to you. And Lord, we uh, pray that our hearts will be ready to receive what you want to teach us today. Lord, we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in a series entitled Questions by Jesus. We began with the very first question, who do you say that I am? 
It is the most important question you will ever be asked in your life. Who do you say that Jesus is? Peter hit the nail on the head. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Exactly, Peter. And that answer would change his eternity. So you want to make sure you get the answer right. Jesus came to set us free, to give us eternal life. Here's the second question. Do you want to be healed? Great question. Some people love to stay in their problems, in their uh, uncomfort zone. God wants to change us, be more like Jesus, to get us out of those uncomfortable things that are destroying us. God wants to heal us. Here's the third question we talked about. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I tell you. Great question, right? If Jesus is our Lord and Savior, why don't we follow him? It's the whole issue of lordship. Making Jesus Christ your Lord. Yes, making him your Savior. But like the word says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The question I want to talk about today, though, different from the first three. It's a tough question. It's one people have struggled with. But Jesus asked it on the cross. And the question is this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, it's not a question you're going to see on a lot of bumper stickers. Amen? You're not going to see this verse on a bumper sticker. In fact, uh, every morning... Uh, with a bunch of other guys, we text each other verses that are blessing us or that we read that morning in our quiet time. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, no one has ever texted this verse. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I want you to know this is not a verse of defeat by Jesus. This is a verse that Jesus uh, will highlight exactly what happened on the cross. What took place? What transpired? What happened when Jesus died on the cross? The bottom line is this. The question Jesus asks, while nailed to the cross, reflects the awesome person that he is and the mind-boggling price that was paid for our freedom and salvation. I'd like you to open God's Word, amen, to Matthew 27, the very Word of God. <clears throat> Jesus is hanging on the cross in this passage. And Jesus, by the way, you probably know this, gives seven statements on the cross. This is one of them. And we're going to start at verse 45. As Jesus is hanging in agony on the cross, 100% divine, 100% human, mixed together in this awesome being, Jesus Christ. Verse 45. Now about the sixth hour. What time is that in the Jewish clock? Noon, exactly. So it's noon, all right? There was darkness over all the land. Right away, you should be like, wait a minute. It's noon. Uh, we're at 1140 right now. Uh, this is about the brightest time of the day. But when Jesus is hanging on the cross, it's noon, and darkness was over the entire land. You don't often think about that. In fact, most depictions of the crucifixion, you don't see that. And when I read the Word of God, I, I, I believe the Word of God is the absolute truth of God. So when it says there was darkness over all the land, that's what there was. It doesn't say it got a little darker. It doesn't say there was a slight cloud cover. It says there was darkness. 
And when I read that, I think like pitch darkness. A better depiction of the crucifixion might be something like this at noon. And if you were standing there, you would probably realize something amazing is happening with this Jesus hanging on the cross. In fact, they come to the right conclusion at the end of the passage when they say, truly, this was the Son of God. For three hours, darkness over the land. Let's keep reading. And about the ninth hour, that would be 3 p.m., Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which is Aramaic for my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to Jesus to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Now, look at some of the amazing things that happen now. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to what? Bottom. You know what curtain that is, right? That was the massive curtain that separated the holy place in the temple from the holy of holies, where once a year, the high priest in Israel would enter and offer up sacrifices for the nation of Israel. That was on the day called Yom Kippur. Yom meaning day, Kippur, atonement. A day to make God and Israel at one again. That curtain was torn from top to bottom. What was God saying? God tore it from top to bottom to make sure you knew that it wasn't man that tore it. It was torn from top to bottom. This is a curtain 30 feet high torn top to bottom. God was saying this, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what Jesus did on the cross, the Lamb of God offers you direct access to God. You become a priest in God's kingdom. You have direct access to walk into the presence of the Almighty God of this universe and cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. It's awesome. Direct access. What else happened? And the earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs, sometimes we forget this happened. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city, Jerusalem, and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with Jesus keeping watch over him saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. You know, in the midst of this darkness, as Jesus is hanging there, we begin to understand this was all about God's judgment on sin. In fact, William Hendrickson, a famous New Testament scholar, wrote many books about the New Testament, wrote this about the darkness. He said this, The darkness meant judgment, the judgment of God upon our sins. His wrath, as it were, burning itself out in the very heart of Jesus so that Jesus, as our substitute, suffered most intense agony, indescribable woe, terrible isolation, or here's the word, forsakenness. And in the midst of this darkness, Jesus lifts up his heart-rending cry, my God, my God, why have you 
forsaken me. So that's a powerful statement. But it helps us understand exactly what happened on the cross. Uh, If you look at the word forsaken, it means this, to abandon, to totally desert. I don't know if you've ever had someone that you've been really close to that has totally turned his or her back on you and walked away from you. Well, it's much worse in this case on the cross for Jesus. God the Father, Jesus had been in perfect communion from all of eternity with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. But on the cross, when he took my sins on himself, when he became the Lamb of God, that became the penalty for my sin and for yours. At that moment, what Jesus had known for all eternity was broken. That perfect fellowship between God the Son and God the Father and the Holy Spirit was destroyed because he became sin. Sin was nailed to the cross. My sin was nailed to the cross means to depart from as in rejection to turn your back upon here's the first thing i want you to remember about the cross today because it's the central story of your life we need to ponder these things number one the the question by jesus on the cross gives us insight on the awesome reality of jesus true identity what the centurion said was exactly right truly this was the son of god Because the statement that Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Reminds us of that perfect fellowship Jesus had with God that was broken. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 1.1. Familiar verse, right? But it highlights again, who is this person hanging on the cross? Why was Jesus talking about God abandoning him, turning his back, God the Father, on his son? Well, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Right there, we know Jesus existed for all of eternity. The Bible says if something was made, Jesus made it. In fact, if anything was made, Jesus made it. Now, if Jesus was quote-unquote made, this verse is a lie. And yet, it's amazing how many groups get it wrong. How many people say, oh, Jesus was a created being, a person like you and me, not God in flesh. No, see the statement here, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The entire plan of God was this, that a life of infinite value, Jesus Christ, would take your sin and mine. And at that moment when he became sin, now he didn't become a sinner, far from it. He became sin that was nailed to the cross for you and for me at that moment. That perfect relationship with God the Father was broken. Colossians 1, another passage from the Word of God, talks about uh, that amazing person hanging on the cross. Let me read it to you. Verse 15 in Colossians chapter 1 says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, meaning that he'll inherit everything of all creation. It's all going to be his. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, hey, you wonder what holds the universe together? I said to my daughter uh, the other, other night, look at the moon, it just hangs there. Nothing holding it. I was really wrong. Amen? Who's holding the moon? It's God, Jesus, holding it all together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be, here's a key word for our, us as followers of Christ, preeminent. What's another phrase for the word preeminent? First of all, that's good. Supreme. I had one guy say, number one. I like that. I, I say first place, that he would have first place in everything. As a follower of Jesus Christ, man, you say, yeah, if you're married, I love my spouse. If you have kids, I love my kids. It, it, whatever uh, a person in your life that you love. But nothing, no one comes close to the first place Jesus has in your life. No one. Doesn't matter what people say about you. Jesus is preeminent. Let's keep going. Here's a key verse as well. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We don't know how that happened. It's a mystery. But all the fullness of God in this one individual, Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. That's what we're talking about today. I hope you know today that Jesus hanging on the cross was God in flesh. If you've ever been wrong, there probably are times in your life where you feel like, oh man, this, this organization is treating me so badly. I wish I could go and just get even somehow. I wish I had the power or authority. They're treating me unfairly. Maybe a health situation where your procedure wasn't covered and you feel like you were treated badly, but you have no authority to change it. Here's the difference with Jesus. He's hanging in absolute agony for six hours with all power in the universe at his disposal. He could have said the words and ended it, but he didn't. Why? Because the Bible says of the joy set before him of knowing he was doing the will of the Father. Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. The joy of knowing there would be billions of people through human history that would place their faith and trust in him and be set free from the penalty of sin. See, when Jesus became sin on the cross... Sin was nailed to the cross. Sin was defeated that day. The power and penalty of it so that we could be set free. It's important to understand the Trinity. People say to me, oh, Mel, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. But it's a word that represents exactly what's taught in the Bible. In fact, many of these other religions that complain about the word Trinity not being in the Bible all have words that they use that are not in the Bible that help define what they believe. The word Trinity is a great word. Try, unity, one, push together, Trinity. It's exactly what the Bible teaches, that God the Father is not God the Son. They are distinct persons in the Trinity. God the Father is not God the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. They are distinct persons. 
but all three of those persons are God. God the Father is God. God the Son is God. God the Holy Spirit is God. People have said to me, well, that's a contradiction. My, my response is no, it's not at all. It's just that you in your finite mind cannot understand how awesome our God is. In fact, I say this often, I don't want to follow a God that I understand fully. Amen? I want to follow a God that's beyond my comprehension. He's that awesome. That's exactly what our God is like. It's the God you serve today. All power at his disposal, holding this entire universe with 400 billion galaxies together. He is awesome. And yet he was nailed to the cross for you and for me. It's helpful to have a definition of the Trinity, so I'm going to give you one, at least a, an idea of what to say to people who will challenge your belief in Jesus being part of the Trinity. Here's a definition. The Trinity, one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Stated differently, God is one in essence and three in person. Some critical truths. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons. Each person is fully God, and there is only one God, a God beyond our comprehension, where there is no contradiction whatsoever. There are people who want to attack it. I'm just going to give you two examples. Unitarianism, for example, will say the Father is the creator, which, again, we just read that Jesus is the one who created, right, everything. But they change that. And then they say the Son is a created being. Again, not what the Bible says. And they'll say that the Holy Spirit is just an impersonal force and it. Here's another false teaching. It's called Sabellianism. It comes from an early church leader who taught falsely. His name was Sabellius. He taught what's called modalism. And it's infiltrated some groups even in the modern day church today. Still exists. It's the error of this, that in the Old Testament, God was in the mode of the Father. During the Gospels, God was in the mode of Jesus, the Son. Then after the church was born in the New Testament, and today, God is in the mode of the Holy Spirit. One person, three different modes. That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, we know that's not true. Think of the baptism of Jesus. Jesus is baptized by John. He's standing there. The Holy Spirit descends on bodily, in bodily form on Jesus like a dove, exactly. And the Father speaks out of heaven and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. All three of them are there. So how can modalism ever be true? But some people believe it. They want to diminish the work of Christ and the person of Christ and what the Bible teaches this amazing person was hanging on the cross. He became sin. He took my sin and yours and the sins of the entire world. I like what one writer said. Imagine then how it would feel for God in the flesh, Jesus, who is perfectly holy and righteous and for whom sin is the exact antithesis and opposite of everything about his being. He's never sinned. He's never experienced sin. Never come close to it. To not just take on a few sins, but to actually become sin for the entire world. It's shocking and horrifying when you truly understand the nature of Jesus and who he is. 
That leads me to the second point. It's this. The mind-boggling price that was paid for our freedom. That this God became sin on the cross for you and for me. The cross declares the horror and the ugliness of sin. I've said it before, but it's worth repeating. People have said to me, why did the cross have to be so ugly, so bloody, so painful, so gory? Because it has become an eternal illustration of how destructive sin itself is, how ugly it is, how horrific it is. We see it every day on the news, how ugly sin is. One of my favorite movies is Jesus of Nazareth. It's not a movie you can easily sit down with your family and watch in one sitting. It's six hours long. But when it first came out, people were worried that it, it might not depict Jesus in a way that it should. But I love the movie, and people who are uh, believers like you and me praise the movie for the way it depicted Christ. The Passion of the Christ, another great movie, and that truly displays the ugliness and bloodiness of the crucifixion. One thing about Jesus of Nazareth, uh, probably didn't do that quite as well. But I do like how Jesus of Nazareth, in that movie, displays this moment when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see the desperation of that moment when Jesus, for the first time in all of eternity, has a broken relationship with the Father as the Father turns his back on the Son, as the Son becomes sin, nailed to the cross. In this clip I'm going to show you, you're going to see Caiaphas amazed that even as Jesus makes this statement, he's quoting the Word of God, which illustrates the amazing commitment Jesus has to the Word of God. We'll talk about that later. And then Nicodemus is going to show up in the clip. And I love how the movie Jesus of Nazareth displays Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus, the person that came to Jesus at night? Too embarrassed to go to Jesus during the day. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, this teacher of Israel who knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards, knew the Old Testament extremely well. He says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You have to be made alive again spiritually. Nicodemus, you know a lot of information. But here's the key, and the verse that we probably have all heard, it's at most NFL football games, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but of everlasting life. In Jesus of Nazareth, they show Nicodemus looking at Jesus on the cross, and he quotes appropriately Isaiah 53, a prophecy that was made 700 years before the crucifixion of Jesus. So as uh, we watch this clip, let's focus on this moment that Jesus loses that perfect fellowship with God the Father as he becomes sin. Let's watch it now. Listen. Listen, he's calling on the prophet Elijah. 
No, he's not calling Elijah. He's quoting the scriptures. Even now, nailed to the cross, he quotes the scriptures. Even now. Rejected of men, man of sorrows, unacquainted with grief. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearer is done. Surely he hath borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, spitted of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was abused for our iniquities. And through his wounds, we are healed. Alexandria, one of the church fathers. I like what he wrote early on. 
because there was a discussion well did Jesus become a sinner no this is what he says one of the early church fathers we do not say that Christ became a sinner far from it but being righteous or rather righteousness he's saying in essence the embodiment of righteousness because he did not know sin at all the father made him a victim for the sins of the world the embodiment of righteousness became the embodiment of sin on the cross. My sin for me, he took my place and set me free. And all those who would place their faith and trust in him. If you want to fully understand how wicked sin is, look at who died to conquer it. The person who had to conquer it was the God of this universe, the creator of all. If you want to fully comprehend how horrible sin is in the sight of God, look who the Father has to send as our substitute for the penalty of sin so that he could destroy it once and for all and the effects of it. One other beautiful thing about this amazing moment on the cross is this, the worth and value of an individual created in God's image. You know, you've probably heard about these auctions that uh, have these pieces of art or other items brought up for auction, and people pay amazing dollars for these items. If you want to determine the worth of something, you have to ask three questions. Who made it? How many of this item are there? And how much is someone willing to pay for? Let me give you some auction items that maybe you've heard about. This is a painting by Picasso. It was auctioned off for $106 million, one painting, dollars. Here's a manuscript by Leonardo da Vinci. Someone paid $30.8 million for this one manuscript by Leonardo da Vinci. Here's a Stradivarius violin. It was 3.9 million dollars. I found this one. I thought this was interesting. Locks of Elvis's hair. The barber that was cutting Elvis's hair secretly kept it to himself and years later auctioned it off for $115,000. More than twice what John Lennon got for his hair. Elvis Presley. Here's a statue from antiquity. Artemis and the stag, 28.6 million. A Ferrari, 12.2. I want to tell you today, you were made by the awesome God of this universe. The reality is, there's only one of you. And what was God willing to pay for you? Because I believe with all my heart when Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends and you are my friends. He would have laid his life down just for you. The price that was paid was awesome. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's exactly what 1 Peter 1 talks about when it says, you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, that worthless stuff. That, that's not what sets you free. That's nothing from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers. But with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, the amazing value God places on you because of your connection with Jesus. That leads me to the third point. It's this the powerful example Jesus displays in his commitment to Scripture. The reality is, the question he asks 
was right out of God's word. David wrote it in Psalm 22, the first verse. When he was in the midst of struggles, he wrote, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And just like Caiaphas was amazed that even nailed to the cross, he quotes scripture. It's an amazing example to us. Power of God's word. To help us in our walk, to help us live for Jesus Christ to love the Word of God. That's what we do here at Riverview. We love what the Word of God says. Psalm 22, David wrote these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus quotes them. In Hebrews, it says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet he was without sin. And in the midst of dying on the cross, he quotes Scripture. It reminds me of Matthew 5 when Jesus said this. These are amazing words, by the way. Do not think that I come to abolish the law or the prophets. That was good to hear, right? But what he says next is even more mind-boggling. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You mean everything in the Old Testament, Jesus, you're fulfilling? Exactly. All the, all the feasts, all the celebrations, all the offerings, all the sacrifices fulfilled in Jesus. And then he says this, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, that refers to the jot, the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Not an iota, not a dot will pass until all is accomplished. He had a love for Scripture and displayed it even on the cross as we should have as we seek to live for Him. As we close today, I want to say this. Rejoice in the God that you worship and serve today. Do you rejoice in the God you serve? That He would hang on the cross for you and pay that awesome price. Secondly, be in awe of God's loving and gracious plan to save you so that you can have a relationship with him, so that you can know if something happened today, if the end of your life was today, you'd be in the presence of God. Yesterday I did a sermon for one of the men that attended our church. He contracted a blood disease, and before anyone realized it, his life was over. We don't know when our life is going to come to an end. And I always see those times the funeral service was in Murrieta as so precious because my goal is with God's help to present the gospel as clearly as possible because my perception was there were many people who did not know Christ, who had not made a decision for Jesus. My prayer would be every one of you today would be confident of the fact that you believe in God's plan to save you that it's awesome, and you rejoice in who you are in Christ. You know, I refer to the verse uh, that is in Hebrews, that for the joy that was set before Christ, he endured the cross, despising the shame. The joy was to see people like you here worshiping him and having a relationship with the God that created you. Not because he needs us. He doesn't need us. We need him. We need him. And I want to close with a song. It's written by Phillips Craig and Dean. It's an old song, I know, but I've been blessed by this song over the years. It's called Favorite Song of All. It asks the question, what's God's favorite song? 
And I agree with the words of this song. It's the song of all of us who've seen Jesus on the cross for exactly who he is and what he did, and we've made a decision to put our faith and trust in him. That's the most amazing song of all. And I'm going to close with this video. Let's uh, listen to the words of this powerful song. As it whistles through the pines on mountain peaks And he loves to hear the raindrops As they splash to the ground in a magic melody He smiles in sweet approval As the waves crash to the rocks in the harmony Majestic symphonies, but his favorite song of all is the song of the redeemed. When the lost sinners now make believe, lift their voices loud and strong. When those purchased by his blood.